Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Father God, we bless your name this morning, Lord. We thank you for uh, what a wonderful uh, group of people, wonderful church, Lord. And thank you for the fellowship and just the, the camaraderie that we find in here, Lord. I ask you that this morning, Lord, you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the word that you have for us, Lord. That we will be able to understand and perceive, you know, what Pastor Palma is trying to share, Father God. And that we would receive. And that to the degree that we open our ears and our hearts, Lord, and we receive that. That would bring growth into our Christian walks, Lord. That it would encourage us, Lord. And just light the passion, uh, that Palma has in our own hearts, Father God, to seek you, to love you, to do our best for you, Lord, and leave nothing like they see on the court, Father God, but just give you 110%, Lord. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his family's life, Lord. We ask that you just put a word in his mouth, Father God, and, 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 and Lord, that you, you just bless us today, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And now I leave you with uh, Pastor Jose Palma. Let's give him a hand. Amen. <clears throat> I have known Dr. Jules over 20 years. How many of you know that when you get to know somebody, you get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly? Pastor Jules is, uh, Dr. Jules is gracious enough to share with you the good and withhold the bad and the ugly. <clears throat> Thank you, Dr. I've, I, because of that introduction, I'd like to share something with you. Um, we've lived, again, we, we've been having fellowship for 20 years. And in that time, the people of God open their homes. They open their hearts. They invite you into their family. Right about the time when I became a Christian... Uh, a few years later, my parents got divorced and had, and they went through a lot of financial trouble. Usually those go together, right? Not always, but. And, um, and I was having to make decisions about what I was going to do with my life. And this church family, the pastors and the servants here in this church, opened their doors, opened their hearts, opened their families, and let me watched their life and shared their life with me and um all the blessings that doctor that jules was sharing about came as a result of god using them to reach me and again 20 years later i can tell you that last night even as late as last night my wife and i were talking about conversations that I, that Jules and Claudia have. You know, they had this interesting conversation. And what do you think about this? And I have... How old is your oldest daughter, Jules? Jules' oldest daughter is 18. My oldest daughter is 7. And we have the conversation at home. Honey, how can we teach our daughters to be like Jules and Claudia's daughters? And that's part of the blessing of God. And that's part of... Be, what being the people of God is. It's not just words. It's not just um, Bible, Bible teachings. It's not just theory. It's living a life that blesses and impacts the lives of others. And I can, as I look around the room, some of you I can see smiling. Some of you I can see almost crying because you remember when you got to church. You remember when... Um, God came into your life, and when the family of God opened their arms and their hearts to you. For those of you who are new to this church, we open our hearts to you. We open our lives to you. We are, we believe that scripture teaches us to live a transparent life, to be the same person that you are outside of these walls as you are inside these walls, to be the same person on Monday that you are on Sunday. <clears throat> For some of you young people, to be the same person you are on Sunday as you are on Friday night and Saturday night. 
to live for God sincerely. And that's been living with God, living for God, and living amongst God's people has been the blessing that has, that has come over my life that, Dr. that Jules was talking about. Um, this morning, by way of introduction to the message, I want to ask you, how are things going? I have a friend at work that says, sees me in the hallway. He's a, he's a, <clears throat> he's a friend from high school. Um, again, that was quite a few years ago. But he works with me. And I uh, hardly ever see him. But when I do see him, I see him in the hallway at work. And he says, hey, man, how you living? And I always wonder what's the best way to answer him. But I ask you, how are you living? How's, how's life? <clears throat> I have a PowerPoint that I want to share. But I'm going to ask Annalie if, or whoever's back there, to, um, if they could put up John 10.10. 10. How's life? Look at what God says about why he came. And look at what God says about your life. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, and this is Jesus speaking, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. <clears throat> God came that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. So I ask you the same question again. How's your life? Do you see the results of God working in your life? <clears throat> I have come that they may have life in abundance. Are you, do you know, do you experience that? <clears throat> or, or do you experience the other, the other um, way that life can go, where you feel like you're always being stripped, you're always being stolen from, you're always being um, injured and hurt. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So God wants to pick you up. God has come to lift up the heavy heart, to encourage you, to fill you with life. Abundant. You know what abundance is? Enough that you can give somebody else. Imagine that you had so much. You know what? Let me, let me clarify something. Because when you guys think of abundance, what is everybody thinking? Money. Dollar bills. But Jesus said, even when one has an abundance, life does not consist in his possessions. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is life, is peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So what's abundant life? It's not money. As a matter of fact, it says, even when you have an abundance of money, that's not what life is about. So Christ came that you may have life in abundance. But what is it? It's an abundance of peace. It's an abundance of joy. It's an abundance of righteousness. How many prefer that kind of abundance? That's what Christ came to give you. And if you have that, the money doesn't matter. You can have the money. You can lose the money. But you have, I'll, I choose peace, joy, and, and, and life. Or peace, joy, and righteousness. So Christ came to lift you up. I don't know how you're living. I don't know what's going on in your life. But you can know from these verses what God's will is. You can know in these verses whether you're living the life God has for you. Or whether God has more for you. God has an abundant life of peace and of joy. 
Now, I was thinking, you know, isn't it a little self-centered, God, to think that you came to give me joy? Isn't it a little self-centered to think that God's, that the reason Christ came was to give me peace? But Jesus said, I have come to do the will of my Father. I have come to fulfill everything that he has commanded me to do. And then he said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It must be that God's desire, that God's will is that we have life and that we have it in abundance. And again, why abundance? Because the person next to you is going to need from the abundance that God puts in your life. My life has been blessed because, <clears throat> because of the abundance that was in other people's lives. That allowed me or that drew me to God. Lord, I want to know you more. Lord, I want <clears throat> peace. Lord, I want to know your will for my life. God wants to lift you up. God wants to encourage you so that you can be an encouragement to others. So good, so good that you can encourage others. How many of you guys get down every once in a while, right? And isn't it hard to pick yourself up? Depression is one of the worst things, and every day it's more and more common. I know people very close to me in my life, locked in a bed. They can't shake it. There's nothing they can do to get out of it. People need the overflow of what God wants to put in your life. People need what God wants to give you. So God wants to give you, God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. Amen. Well, let's go back to the presentation now if we can. How's it going? It's on. Gotta love technology. All right, let's see what we got here. We have very small font. All right, well, trust me, I'll read it to you. <laughs> That's going to be a challenge there. Are we low on battery or what? All right. All right, good thing I brought my laptop. Let's see if it sh didn't shut down. I just wanted you guys to be in a real pensive spirit. All right, until that comes out, can we do both? Okay. So let's go to Ephesians 2, verse 10, while they get that going. Ephesians 2, verse 10, we're going to do this old school. You're actually going to open your Bible up. Ephesians 2, 10 says the following. For you, it actually says for we, but I'm going to read it like this. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. You are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God, which, oh, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created by God and you are God's workmanship to walk in the works that he created for you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20, and then we'll tie these together. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. Or do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Let's just break this apart before we go to 20. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? God wants to dwell in you. I want you to think about that because we don't, that's too, that's not an easy, that's very easy to overlook. God came that you may have life and have it in abundance. And God teaches us he says, learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, learn from me and you'll find rest in your souls, for your souls. Christ wants to give you rest for your soul. As he's teaching us, he says, do you not know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? God is in you. You forget that, and I forget that, but God is in you. He says the Holy Spirit is in you. You have the Holy Spirit that God gave you, and you are not your own. You're not your own. Next verse. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit belong to God. God's spirit is in you, and your body and your spirit belong to God. You're not your own. What does that mean? How will I live? How will I live if I know that my life is not my own? How are you living now? Remember when I asked you in the beginning, how are you living? Well, that meant, how are things going? But now I'm saying, how are you living? How are you conducting your life? You want abundant life? The Bible says, you're not your own. You're his workmanship. Thank you, guys. You're his workmanship created to do good works. Listen to that. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing with your life. But God wants you to have abundant life, and here's how it goes. You're his workmanship, created to do good works that he prepared for you. God has a life for you. You're not your own. Why does he tell us that? Because we think we belong to ourselves. We think that we're here to do our will. Jesus said, I have come to do the will of the Father, but we say, I have come to do whatever I want. I've come to live my life. But if you want abundant life, the Bible says, live the life that I prepared for you before I even created you. God first prepared the works, then he created you. It says he created the works beforehand. You're not your own. You belong to God. You need to let, if you don't take anything else from this message, you need to walk away from here knowing that you belong to God. Your life is not yours. And then you can take that life to God <clears throat> and say, God, what is your will? Can we go to the next, were you able to put together the next slide? These guys are helping me out here. This is cool. This is on-the-fly presentations. How do we know what God's will is? So I just told you, you don't belong to yourself. I told you, you are not your own. So how do I know what God's will is? 
Tell him, Kenny. This is how we know what God's will is. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Leave it right there, please. What's your reasonable service? How do I know what God's will is? To present your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your reasonable service. How do I know God's will? Number one, you present your life to God. That's the reason, your reasonable service. Next verse. And do not, so there's two things. Present your life to God, which is only reasonable. If you're going to do God's will, you got to say, God, I'm not going to do my will. Doesn't that, that make sense? I'm going to do God's will. I can't do my will. So God, I want to do your will. And then, that's one. Two is, do not be conformed to this world. <clears throat> huh? What does that mean? You know what it means. Don't be like this world. Don't think like this world. Don't talk like this world. Don't act like this world. Don't dress like this world. Look, it says don't be conformed. The world wants to conform you. The world wants to take you and cause you to take its shape. That's what conforming is. To take the shape of something. But the Bible says don't be conformed to this world. Don't, watch this, don't desire what this world desires. You want peace? You want peace? You want joy? Set your heart on God. And don't desire the things of this world. Don't desire what this world desires. Don't be like this world. If you want abundant life, Jesus says, first of all, come to me and lay your life before me. Second of all, don't be like this world, but be transformed. Take on a totally different form. How? By the renewing of your mind. God wants to change the way we think. God wants us. I should say it differently. It says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants us to change the way we think. He wants us to take on the thoughts of God. We're not going to go there, but there's a Bible verse that says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That means when God's word says something, when we know what God wants, and we know that what we want is different or what we're thinking is different, the Bible says, take that thought and subject it to obedience. That that thought would obey Christ. So God wants to teach us how to think. God wants us to change the way we think. Can we go back to... Okay, so God wants to change the way we think. Right? You belong to God to do God's will and how we get there requires that we change the way we think, right? We're going to transform. God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so let's, now let's go to the next slide where we start talking about the re, this renewal of our mind. How, what is, when God says, renew your mind, what does that mean? What is it that God wants to do? Well, it says, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God, if there's fear in your life, you know, I don't know. I would love to know how many decisions we make on fear. I'm a, I'm a numbers person. I'm a data person. I'm a data junkie. I'd love to know how many of, what percentage of our decisions are made on fear. How much of our life is consumed by fear? Fear of what's going to happen. Fear of what may not happen. Fear of how long I live. Fear of if I live a long life, I won't have enough money. 
God has not given you a spirit of fear. If there's fear in your life, it's not from God. I'm going to say that again. If there is fear in your life, that's not from God. God gave you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That sound mind is probably, if fear is the most common thing in this room, the sound mind is probably the most precious. It's probably the most rare. If God wants you to have a sound mind. I looked up sound mind and it was at ease, at peace. A mind that is at peace. That's abundant life. When was the last time you had a sound mind? A mind that was at peace. That's what God wants. That's the life that God wants to give you in abundance so that you can share it with others. And God's will is not. If there's fear in your life, know this. That didn't come from God. So find out what God has to say about that matter. Maybe you fear because you're outside, you know that you're outside of God's will. Or maybe you fear because you're not trusting God. But the fear did not come from the Lord. And that's an, that is a clear indication that we need to go to him and get something straight. Okay. Be anxious for nothing. God didn't give us a spirit of fear. God didn't give us a spirit of anxiety. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer, by prayer and supplication. Make your petitions or and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. So be anxious for nothing. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. That's what we mean when we say abundant life. It's not just enough peace to make it through the day. It's peace that surpasses all understanding. Will guard your heart. We said fear was not from the Lord. The peace of God is the spirit that God has for you. Is the spirit that God does give. And that peace will guard your heart. The Bible says, let's go back to the previous verse, 6. Notice, it says, be anxious for nothing. You know what? That's a commandment. That's an instruction. How many of you guys have ever felt overwhelmed by anxiety? The rest of you are liars. How many of you ever felt overwhelmed by anxiety? The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. That's an instruction. Isn't that interesting? It's an instruction. It's a commandment. It's a decision. The Bible commands us to love. The Bible commands us to be anxious for nothing or not to be anxious. That's a decision you have to make. That decision is made like this. Lord, I trust you, so I'm not going to be anxious. I'm going to bring this before you. I'm going to let you know what's in my heart. I'm going to give you thanks because you're a good God. Next verse. Seven again, please. It was six and seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Amen. Do we have the next slide? This is like a surprise. This is pretty cool. You never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you guys are doing amazing back there. They're rebuilding my slide on the fly. God has not given us a spirit of fear. What do we have next? Do we have the definition? 
Woo! All right. Spirit. Let's define spirit. We said God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But then we hear this word spirit and we think, well, what is that? What is a spirit of fear? Is that like something I see in a horror film? Woo! What is, you know, spirit is a weird word, right? Spirit is, a, is, is not a word we are very familiar with. So I looked it up in the dictionary, in the, in the Bible dictionary. Spirit is Greek for pneuma. And as you can see, we have a, a, an outline of the different ways that that word spirit is used. Let's see if we have it on the next slide. One way the Bible uses the word spirit, this is just for clarity, so you guys understand what a spirit of fear is. One way that the word spirit is used is it's the third person in the triune God. In other words, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible uses the word pneuma. Remember, we, we looked up spirit and then we looked it up in the Greek because the Bible was written in Greek. So in the Bible, when you see spirit, it, the word is pneuma. And in some cases, it refers to the Holy Spirit. Next one. In other places in the Bible, the same word pneuma means the, the vital principle by which God, life is animated. In other words, when people die, the Bible says his spirit left him. The spirit is that which gives life. It's the essence of a man. It's what leaves a man when they die. That is another word for spirit. Now, why are there so many definitions for spirit? There's another one. We'll go to the next one in a second. That's fine. Leave it there. Sounds confusing, right? Well, why are there all these different definitions for spirit? Well, why are all these different definitions for love? I love my wife. I love chocolate. I love God. God loves me. Those are all, I love my brother. Those are all different kinds of love, aren't they? But we all use the word love, right? I love God. I love my wife. I love my brother. I love chocolate. They're all different. I love ice cream, really. I'm not a chocolate person. I'm an ice cream person. I love ice cream. Those are all different kinds of love, but we still use the word love. So we shouldn't be too confused when we see that the Greeks used the word spirit and it had slightly different meanings. This is the third one. Spirit is the essence. That's, I don't even, you, you guys, I don't know if you guys can figure that out, but. I don't want to try to explain that here. A simple essence devoid of all matter and possessed of the power of knowing, desiring, deciding. We can study that one later. That's not the one we're here to study. What's the next one? This is the one we're here to study. When it talks about a spirit of fear, it talks about a disposition. I had to look that one up. An attitude. Okay, that, that I understand. The, when we talk about spirit of fear, we're talking about an attitude or an influence which fills or governs the soul of anyone. Doesn't that make sense now? Now I understand spirit of fear. It's not this spirit that comes in and possesses you like a demon like you've seen in the exorcist. It's, there's different words for spirit. And when the Bible talks about spirit of fear, it's talking about a disposition of your heart. An attitude which governs your life. God did not give you an attitude of fear. He did not give you a disposition of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Amen. Do we have the next one? So I looked up courage because courage has to do with fear. So I looked up the word courage, and the Webster's Dictionary says, courage is a mental or moral strength. Let's, courage is a mental or moral strength. To venture means to go out and do something. To persevere, to withstand danger, to withstand fear, or to withstand difficulty. So courage is mental strength or moral strength. Next uh, slide. So I just turned this around. I decided to define fear as the opposite of courage. I think we can understand that. Fear, then, is a mental or moral weakness. What is a spirit of fear? It's a mental or moral weakness. 
to venture, a fear, uh, uh, a weakness in going out to, to venture, to do something new. Venture is what's around the corner. It's that which is unknown, that which is coming that I don't know. Why? If something is routine, it's not an adventure. If something's routine, it's not a venture. A venture is when you go out and do something or <clears throat> that you've never done before. You don't know what it's gonna, how it's going to turn out. That's a venture. The Bible says God has not given us mental or moral weakness to go out into the unknown. We'll go with that. Fear is a mental or moral weakness, but God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I don't want you to get lost in definitions. I want you to understand this. Fear is an attitude. Fear is an influence in your life. And it doesn't come from God. God has given you a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Not a fear. So if fear is an attitude, if fear is an influence, have you ever heard, <clears throat> we say this at home all the time, honey, I would change your attitude right about now because you're going to get in trouble to my daughters. Honey, I think you should change your attitude because you're about to get in trouble. An attitude is something we can change. It's tough. Isn't it tough when you're upset? You remember when somebody said, change your attitude and you were a kid? Or maybe even a cop. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you don't remember that far back, but maybe you were with a police officer. And they said, you better change your attitude unless you want to go to jail. I know that's not happened to anybody else, anybody in here, but in case you know somebody and you're trying to explain to them about an attitude change, you can talk about other people's experience with the law. We are instructed to change our attitude by God, even by, even by our parents, even by our authorities. Our authorities instruct us to change our attitude. Fear is some fear and anxiety aren't those things that we think overwhelm us? Aren't those things don't we think that fear comes from some external factor? It's the result of what's happening to me, it's the result of what's coming up against me. When you think of fear, don't you think fear is caused by something else? By something? When you're ang anxious, aren't you anxious about something? Don't you feel so that's, the, that's where the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. God wants you to understand anxiety and fear are attitudes. They're influences that you are, God instructs you not to fear. It's a decision to change your attitude. It's a decision to trust God. How is it that I cannot be anxious? On what basis am I not going to fear? I'm going to trust God. On what basis am I not going to be anxious? I'm going to trust that as I bring my petitions before him, that he will take care of me. Next slide, please. So we're going to go through some verses now. Because when you study the Bible, you see that God has a pattern. You see that when God deals with man, God doesn't wake up one day and say, I think today... I'm going to deal with man like this. And tomorrow he takes a different approach with man. We see in the Bible how God, we see in the Bible God's heart. And God's heart is the same from the beginning 
to the middle, to the end of the Bible. God's heart towards man and God's desire for man. So we're going to just go through the Bible. It's going to be a lot of verses, but you're going to walk away being very clear about God's will for your life. These are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. Have you guys ever been sent to spy anything out? Maybe a couple of you, right? Like one of those back in the, in the 50s. Maybe there's a couple of people who have been sent out to spy. But when we fear, most of the time, we're not fearing for our life. The things that we go through in this life, here in the United States, 99 out of 100 times, they're nothing compared to what's going on in the rest of the world. We're not, none of you are being sent out to war. No bullets flying by your head. Nobody's asking you to walk through a minefield. Even in those situations, God calls us not to fear. But I want you to consider that the things that we get worked up about are small even by man's standards most of the time. Even by man's standards. How much more by God? So I'm trying to give you the backdrop. These guys were about to go to war. You ever seen, I, I like Navy, I like my poor wife has to watch a bunch of army movies. The one that we have on Netflix right now that we have to finish is uh, Patton. Remember in the 70s, a movie about General Patton? It's like three hours long. My wife has to watch all those movies. And so I like war movies. And you guys know about, most of you know about the Navy SEALs. They're very, you know, they love to, um, they're very popular on television. And the Navy SEALs get sent in with no help, with nothing, but they got weapons, and it's like six or 12 guys going in against a 1,000. And they go in, usually by the cover of night, right? They can't see where they're going. They can barely see where they're going. They got to be quiet. They got to be stealth. They, they have to uh, not be seen. And they have to bring back information. This is like, you're talking about if they get caught, they're dead. They're worse than dead. Because usually these guys know information that they want to try to get from them. So they're worse than dead. They're going to get caught and tortured for God only knows how long. Can we put the, the verse back up? So go back. Oh, no, that's, I, we, can, we can go there. These are the names. So God is sending these spies out. Into a land of thousands of people, he's sending out 20. And in this case, he's sending out less. Then Moses said to them, spy out the land of Canaan. Go up into the mountains. This are, when somebody says, go spy out the land, and you're about to go to war, and they're sending you into the mountains, you can already start to envision that, right? The, the night is falling, the, the, the light of the, the moon and the light of the sun and, and the horizon, and, and you, I, I can see this in a movie. Moses said, go up into the mountains. It's 18. And see what the land is like, whether the people are strong what do you mean? You don't know if they're strong or weak? You don't know how many there are? No, that's why we're sending you. So understand these guys, the situation they're in. Go see if they're strong or weak, few or many. And whether the land is good or bad, whether the cities, whether they inhabit in cities and whether the camps are like strongholds, whether they're in camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are uh, forests or not, be of good courage. Easy for you to say, you're not going. Be of good courage and bring some fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. These guys were going into utter, these guys were going into the valley of the shadow of death. They did not know if they were coming back. The things we fear are small, even by men's standards. 
But here's the key. I wanted to give you the, the, I wanted you to imagine being sent out on this mission. At night, into the mountains, into the enemies. You don't know how many they are. You don't know where they are. You don't know if they have a stronghold like a fortress. You don't know if they're sitting there waiting for you. You don't know anything. And they're sending you in there. And then they say, and then they say, be of good courage. What I want you to understand, God has given you a spirit of courage. Fear is not from the Lord. God gives you the moral strength and the moral power to do his will. If you're not doing God's will, you have a problem. That's a different conversation. But the key is, it's a decision. Being of good courage is a decision. Let's go to the next verse. Be strong. We're going to have a lot of verses here, and, and they all kind of say the same thing. So we're going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to read all of it. But it says, this is now Deuteronomy 3, verse 6. By the way, we're just going through the Bible from start to finish. I want you to see what God tells man from the beginning to the end of the Bible. Be strong and of good courage. Again, this is a commandment. How does God want you to live? The Bible says, fervent in spirit, of good courage. Why? Because God is with you. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God, he is the one that goes with you. Why don't we fear? Because God goes with us. Why don't we fear? Because God is with us. God has called you not to fear for the reason that he is with you. Next verse. He will, oh, by the way, it said he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Deuteronomy 3, 7. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him, the sight of all, in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which your God has sworn to their fathers to give them and you shall cause them to inherit it. Again, God is sending them to go to do his will. And he says, be of good courage. A decision, an instruction, a commandment. Next verse. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Do not be dismayed. Next verse. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun. If you notice, we're, we're just walking through the Bible. These are different people in different situations, in different circumstances. God always says the same thing. Be of good courage. Be strong and courageous. Why? It must be because our tendency is to fear. It must be. Why does he say it over and over and over again? Let me ask you this question. Does anyone know who you can call to save 15% or more on car insurance? Why are you laughing? Does anybody know? Who do you call? Who? How do you know that? Because they tell you over and over and over again. Who's a good neighbor? How do you guys know all these things? How come you know? This is, that's totally, what does that have to do with your life? How many of you, raise your hand if you're not insured by State Farm. Raise your hand if you're not insured. I'm not a salesman. Raise your hand if you're not insured by State Farm. Salesman, don't look. Okay, no cold calling allowed. All right. Did you know that State Farm is a good neighbor even though you're not insured by him? So State Farm has nothing to do with your life, but you know that State Farm is like a good neighbor, right? And we know, I'm not insured by uh, Geico, but I know that I can save 15% or more if I call them. Why? Because they tell me over and over again. Guess what? They want to, me to know that I can save money with them. They want me to know that I'm a good neighbor. God wants you to know that he's with you. 
So he tells you over and over and over again. He wants you to remember because he knows that you can forget. And he knows how important it is. Next verse, please. This is another book. We, were, we started in Numbers. We saw several verses in, in Deuteronomy. Now we're in Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Next verse. Be strong and of good courage for this people, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. You know what's really interesting? We don't have time to see all the verses and the background, but you know what's really interesting about this as I studied this? You saw generation after generation teaching their sons the same thing. You saw the men of God teaching this, handing this down generation after generation. God wants to give you abundance of peace, of joy, of good courage, of moral strength, so that you can pass it on to others. If you notice, most of the time, this is a man of God speaking into the life of another man of God. God wants you to have this in abundance in your life so that you can share with other people who are going to need to hear this. There's other people that are going to need to hear, listen, God is with you. Be of good courage. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He wants you to know that. He wants to give you peace. God will give you joy. He tells you not to be anxious. He says that his peace, which surpasses all understanding, is going to guard your heart. God wants that to be such a reality in your life. The Bible calls it abundant reality. So much so that you have enough to give others. That you have enough to share with others. Next verse, please. Only be strong and very courageous. You know, this is interesting. I always used to read be strong, right? I used to, um, when I was... I think I started like at eight years old, I started playing football. And I loved football. I loved it. And I really wanted to play when I got to high school, but something happened. Everybody else kept growing. And I used to play offensive line. Anybody who knows anything about football can laugh. I used to play offensive line. Those are supposed to be the biggest, baddest, meanest guys because their job is to be a wall and don't let anything by I used to play offensive and defensive line it became very clear to me that I was not going to play even in high school so when I read these verses that say only be strong I, I would always think a physical strength or a physical toughness and I said you know what you can be as strong as you want but if the guy outweighs you by Two or three times, two and a half times, there's not a lot you can do. So I would always read these verses, and I got the courage part because the courage is something that's internal. But then I thought, how could I, what does it mean to be strong? Is that physical strength? And it wasn't until today that I looked up in the dictionary that courage was a moral strength. That courage was a mental strength. It's something inside of you. It's mental strength. Moral strength. It's a determination inside of you. It's not physical. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's an influence. Only be strong and very courageous. To do what? That you, may, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or do not turn to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. Next verse. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all, to do according to all that, it is, that is written in it, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. This is not particularly 
about courage. This is the verses immediately after. This is the result of being courageous. But I wanted you to understand how is it that God brings us to abundant life. We said God wants us to do his will. I told you, you're not your own. You belong to God. And that God, that you were created for good works that he prepared for you. And then we say, how do I know? How do I learn how to live this life? It says here that this is how you prosper. This is how God blesses you. The law, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may, listen, first meditate on God's word day and night. That's God's will. I don't know what you meditate on. I don't know what occupies your mind. But you want abundant life? Do you want abundant life? Yes. Do you want abundant life? Yes. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Not just so you know it, that you may observe to do. That you may observe to do all, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. God wants to give you abundant life. God created you. And he knew what he wanted to do with you. And you say, how do I know what that is? Well, he's telling you. Meditate on his word. And do all according to what is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. And you'll have good success. And remember what we said. This is better than money. This is better than money. That's not the prosperity we're talking about. This is abundance of peace. Abundance of joy. Abundance of righteousness. What would you like to leave your kids? A life of peace? A life of joy? Or a bunch of money? What do you think is abundant life? A bunch of money or a bunch of joy? What's, what's, what is an abundant life? A bunch of money or a bunch of peace? Power? Success? Or the peace of God that surpasses all understanding? Next verse. Here we go. Have I not commanded you? It's a commandment. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Next verse. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Thus, the Lord will do it all to your enemies against whom you fight. Next verse. Therefore, be very courageous and keep all that is written in the law, lest you turn aside from the right or the left. Next verse. I think I'm making them work back there. We have the next verse. Let's, let's go to the next verse in the interest of time. 
We're going to close with this. The last sentence. Behave. It's a decision. Behave courageously. For the Lord your God will be with the good. So we ask the worship team to come up. You belong to God. You belong to God and you have a decision to make. The Bible says you're not your own. Do you agree with God? Can you tell God, Lord, I'm not my own I belong to you can you tell God teach me your ways I want to do your will and I present my life have that conversation with God right now let's be on our feet as the worship team leads us in worship let that be your meditation Lord I present my life to you I know you don't want me to be I know you don't want me to take the form of this world I know you don't want me to think like this world. You don't want me to desire the things that this world desires. Lord, I pray that you transform me. I lay my life down. Before you. I want to know your will. Lord, and I know that you want to remove the spirit of fear in my life. I know, Lord, that the spirit of fear is not from you. That you have not given me a spirit of fear. Lord, that you have commanded me to be strong. To be courageous. Lord, I want to be strong. I'm not going to trust in my own thoughts. I decide now to be anxious for nothing. I decide not to be anxious. I bring all my worries to you right now. Lord, you know my concerns. You know my fears. You know my petitions. I bring them before you now. And I give you thanks. I give you thanks because you're a good God. And you have good plans for me. And you will not leave me and you will not forsake me. So I thank you, Lord. Whatever you decide to do, I will be of good courage. And Lord, may your peace, which surpasses all understanding, guard my heart.
Lord, now I pray that this word would be sealed in the hearts and in the minds of everybody that hears it. Lord, that every time fear rears its head, every time fear comes upon our life, that we would remember that you have not given us that spirit. That we would remember that you've given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, your Holy Spirit would go with each person in every situation, at every crossroad, at every decision point, when they lay down on their bed, when they're driving, that your spirit would be with them. Encouraging them, strengthening them, Lifting them up, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would <clears throat> obtain the abundant life that you've created us for. That we would learn to please you and live for you. want to do your will Lord we give you thanks in Jesus name amen